Now, calling all healthcare professionals listening. Today, I want to share with you a learning tool that I think a lot of you are going to find really helpful. If you want to improve your anatomy knowledge, listen up. KenHub is an online anatomy learning platform which helps healthcare professionals to learn the human anatomy fast, effectively, and pain-free. Using an innovative combination of atlas, articles, video tutorials, quizzes, and flashcards, they've already helped more than 1 million people across the globe to learn anatomy. And you're next. Obviously, my focus is the pelvis. They are my favorite images to use for patients or educating myself. They have clear, concise, beautifully illustrated images and videos of pelvic floor muscles, connected tissue support, and the nerves that are associated. And listeners of the Pelvic Health Podcast can get an exclusive 20% discount on all the premium learning plans at KenHub or a 20% discount on any KenHub illustration license if you mention Lori Forner when reaching out to them. Simply head over to khub.me slash Lori Forner to redeem yours. Happy learning! Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health as well as a new student researcher on the fun long road to a PhD where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, supporting, and subscribing. We're going to get right into it today. I have Dr. Sarah Hegg with me. She's a physiotherapist and co-owner of Entropy Physiotherapy and Wellness in Chicago. She specializes in women's and men's health and on treating the spine and pelvis. She received her doctorate of physical therapy and master's of science in women's health from Rosalind Franklin University in 2008. In 2009, she was awarded a board certification as a specialist in women's health. While not a researcher, she enjoys hanging out with researchers to shorten the gap between research and clinical application. And she's joining me on the episode today to talk all about urinary incontinence. And we actually get into diastasis rectus abdominis later on in the piece. But she's talking today about how other fitness professionals and physiotherapists can help to assess and treat women and men with urinary incontinence and other types of pelvic floor dysfunctions. So as much as this episode I think will be really helpful for anybody who's already working with these clients and patients, I really hope that people who aren't treating these or don't feel like they have a role will listen to this episode and share this episode. So if you know of any other physiotherapists or health and fitness professionals um, who see women or men who have a pelvis, this episode will be really good for them. Um, And we talk about her new book, but I will um, leave that for you to listen to and I will put all the links in the show notes. So enjoy. I am very excited for you to come onto the podcast. I thought today we could talk about the role that non-pelvic health physios have in the pelvic health world. Um, and if it's okay with you, we I would like to kind of center that around one of the most common pelvic floor dysfunction, which is incontinence. But um, for now, you have a course that you do. And what is it actually called? It's actually called Pelvic Health for the Non-Pelvic Health Practitioner. Nice. And you have done that internationally, haven't you? 
I've done it primarily internationally. So I've done it in um, British Columbia several times. And then I was down in Australia, New Zealand last year. Nice. So why, uh, if we can kind of step back, why did you decide that you were going to do a course like this? Um, Mostly because people would keep contacting me like via Twitter or Facebook of like, oh, like this is a pelvic thing. Um, I don't know what to do. Or um, my ortho physio friends would say, I don't see people with pelvic issues. And it was just kind of like pelvic physios had kind of zoned in on like belly button to mid thigh. Mm. And then everyone else was like skipping that part. And it seemed really strange to me considering how it's all actually connected that, that we had kind of two parties happening, but nobody was addressing the entire person in front of them. So are you teaching um, non-pelvic health physios how to assess and treat? So if we think of something like incontinence, or are you just kind of telling them what we do as physios who work more in that area? Kind of a combination. I think probably the biggest part of my class is, is awareness. So we know like a C, uh, Center for Disease and Control here in the States says like 50% of people over 65 have incontinence. I mean, we know below 65, it's like one in three women at some point in their lives will experience incontinence. Yet people don't talk about incontinence. Yet when we look at physio, we have actually really good evidence that physio can help incontinence. So the fact that we're missing this ginormous population of one of the few diagnoses or conditions that we can actually maybe cure, Hmm. we're just ignoring it. Like we don't talk about it in PT programs typically. Um, If you look at the stats, you are absolutely, if you're seeing people with pelvises, you're seeing people who are incontinent regardless of your setting. And it just, um, it really made me sad considering the, the social, the economic, all of the negative quality of life ramifications of having incontinence can bring to someone that we're ignoring it. We can help and we're ignoring it. So when you say PT, because you're in America, you mean a physical therapist or physio, whereas PT here in Australia is a personal trainer. So there is a bit of a difference. Yes, Um, yes. (laughs) So, uh, and actually, before we go into it, is this course just for physios or is this also for other health and professionals? Other health and professionals. So up in, so like in British Columbia, Canada, the registered massage therapist, the RMTs, they have a very similar scope of practice to physios in the States. So um, they cannot do internal exams, but they can do exercise. They can, um, you know, they work much more integrated, it seems, with the, the medical communi- community than maybe they do in the States. Um, when I was down in um, New Zealand and Australia, physios, um, some myotherapists, which don't really exist in the States, Mm. and some osteopaths. So definitely, I think that especially the awareness of pelvic things could be much greater. And again, knowing, one, how to identify it, or knowing that it's a thing. Two, knowing what they can do within their scope to make it less of a thing and then knowing who to refer to. I was going to ask those questions because that is probably one of the biggest things that come up. I I don't know how it is in the States. Um, I think sometimes the pelvic health world can be a bit territorial um, and I get both sides. I completely understand it. Um, 
but like you said, th- there's a, a high proportion of the population that have some issues compared to how many people can actually help them. So being able to educate anybody who's dealing with um, patients or clients, being like you said, raising awareness, asking the right questions, and then being able to send them on to people. So you cover that within your, your course, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. Because even, and again, I'm primarily, I I only practice in the States. And I mean, I've had women ask their doctors for help and the doctors say, there's nothing you can do for that or their surgery. Right. And you're kind of like, Ooh, but that's not true (laughs) at all. So having, um, other people who spend more time with people being aware that, well, this is a thing. Lots of, it happens to lots of people, but also it's not normal. Like there's help for that. It can get better. Are you interested in getting help? People have it. They don't talk about it and they go to their doctors and their doctors don't ask about it. So it's what all the numbers and stats we have for how many people have it and how much it's costing and all of those things. I feel like it's probably smaller than it really is. Hmm. And, and um, so having Pilates instructors or yoga teachers or fitness instructors go, hey, if this is happening to you, or if you're, you know, stepping on the lower step, because you're worried about jumping on the higher step, let's talk after class, I can maybe offer you one or two ways to modify it. Or you can talk to so and so who I've met, who's a great pelvic floor physio who can check you out better. Um, So yeah, I think just that that awareness and that knowing that there's help is the biggest thing that we can offer people. So what kind of questions do you um, have non-pelvic health physios think about when they're with their patients or clients? Great question. So, um, yeah, because I thought about this a lot. And I think in my class, I narrowed it down to five. So we'll see how many I can remember right now. (laughs) One is, um, you know, did you know that there's help? Did you know that this is a thing that isn't normal and, but it is very, very common. So it's not weird that this is happening. It's very common, but that there is help. Um, Other things to ask, I think, are how long has this been going on? Because if you've had a sudden change in bowel and bladder stuff, um, you know, your function has changed, you have less sensation, you have less control, and it's a sudden onset. I'm wondering more commonly, more frequently, it's probably like a UTI or something like that, but also you know, on the other end, there's neurological things that can happen where you're like, or like diabetes, like there's medical things that should be checked if this is kind of a sudden onset. But if it's been since your second baby, who's 27, I'm way less worried, right? <laughs> like, so if it's sudden onset versus kind of slower onset um, or more persistent <laughs> presence, um, then the other thing is when does it happen? So does it happen when you're walking to the bathroom, when you're walking into the house? Do you get that crazy strong urge or is it when you're trying to cough or, or when you do cough or laugh or when you're trying to lift something heavy or lifting your grandchild or jumping on the trampoline or doing a double under like, you know, so then we can kind of start to categorize more urge incontinence more stress incontinence. And then that can kind of help you start to determine, okay, so if I'm, let's say that I'm just a Pilates teacher could I say something about how you're breathing and see if that changes things? Because if it changes, that's real. Hmm. But also, if it's not changing, we need to check it out further. Yeah. Right? Um, 
And, um, you know, so for, so for physios who I think do have, um, here in the States, they would be able to have like the clinical reasoning. Um, same here. There's like, there's a, right. So there's a, actually we, um, I helped create a home health toolkit for urinary incontinence. So for home health therapists, they could do a voiding log and they could be like, Ooh, it's after you take your diuretic or, huh, you're not drinking anything but Diet Coke. Maybe we should try something else. Um, you know, and kind of try to identify maybe behavioral or dietary issues. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So questions are, um, when did it start? How long has it been going on? When does it happen? Did you know that there's help? And would you like any help? That's Because really... I actually have had some patients. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say it's a really good question because, <laughs> see, you know, it's um, sometimes with uh, overactive bladder, people can be going 15 times a day, but it really doesn't bug them and they don't care. Right. And, and that's totally their prerogative. So this isn't a life or death situation. Um, and, you know, I've had people who are like, I don't even know I'm here. My doctor just told me to come. And I, so I'm like, this wasn't like a really awkward first date. So yeah. I just kind of explain what I have to offer, what we can assess. Um, and I've had a couple of people go, no, thanks. I mean, like you seem not unpleasant, but I'd really rather not come here. Like, can okay. we, can we back it up? even more than that. So if, again, say somebody is seeing someone, they're doing a Pilates class, they're doing a yoga class, they're coming in for their shoulder to physio, and they haven't said anything about it, where should people start? Like, is somebody coming in for their ankle and you're like, hey, do you lake? Might be a bit awkward. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great, super awkward. Um, I think sometimes it can be brought up in conversation. I think, again, depending on your setting, sometimes it can be a bit obvious. Um, But also, I think especially for females, it's been so normalized. People do bring it up. So let's say you have someone coming in for their ankle and it's because they're marathon training. And then, you know, you start asking about other limitations or what's going on. I think it, it actually comes up pretty easily sometimes. Um, I am not in the camp that says you should just always go straight into the house sex. How's your, you know, how, how are bowel movements? What's up with your bladder? But um, also a lot of, depending on the outcome measures you take or um, stuff like that, like the Westry, you know, like it asks actually about sex. A lot of red flag forms, even though, you know, more and more we know red flags, it's a cluster of things. It's not one thing. But how often does someone circle yes? And the therapist is like, hmm. There's just one red flag we can move on. Um, And don't, you know, that's your in. Like if they say they do have some bowel and bladder issues, ask about them. Because it could be a red flag, but more likely it is at the very least a time to educate and a time to refer or a time to actually maybe try to help them. Yeah, and I think from like a an exercise field is probably super easy. Again, teaching Pilates, yoga, any kind of exercise you're doing with people or even as a physio, if you're doing ankle rehab and you're bringing jumping into it, um, that sometimes that's probably a, an easier in to start discussing things like that. Um, so if once you kind of have asked those questions that you were talking about, um, where do where or what do you teach them? to do with that once they kind of go, okay, well, now I do have this patient and they do have a problem. How do they know when it's not in their scope and then to send them on? Excellent. So, in, and this is just Sarah's opinion. <laughs> um, so what I talk about is, is, so if you, 
if someone says, I have incontinence when I laugh, when I run, when I jump, um, depending on your your field, what you're working on with them. So like if I was working in a CrossFit gym and I do CrossFit, if someone says, I leak when I lift really heavy, I might say, huh, uh, we can talk about breathing. We can talk maybe about what exactly you're doing with your with your spine and your core. Again, not so much for propriety's sake, but how is it working? <laughs> you know, if you completely tuck your bum, that doesn't work so great for the front of the pelvic floor. Can we try to change that? But if nothing changes, again, within your scope of giving cues and stuff <sighs> outside of that, refer on. Um, for massage therapists, they can palpate pelvic floor muscles externally. And same um, with physios. Same with physios. Um, who, and actually, so in the States, at least, um, I would say that if you're going to do internal exams, you should certainly be trained to do that. But there isn't any like edict or law that makes you, you have that. Um, but yeah, most people who, who haven't had internal training don't want to go there anyway. But it's easy enough to palpate externally to see, yep, you're contracting or hmm, it doesn't seem to be that you're contracting and see if you can help them find that muscle the same as you would for someone having trouble with like quad, quad activation for whatever reason. Um, but again, if the intervention you're doing isn't changing anything, hmm. you have to do something different. And that includes referring if it's outside of your scope or your skill set. So how not much time would you say um, that they're not changing? I really have high expectations. I'm thinking like one to two visits. Hmm. That something should Honestly, be changing, yeah. Something should be changing in a good way. And if if not, I don't know. Like, like again, even if it's a little change, all right. You can keep at it if you want. But, um, but I, you should see something changing. Otherwise, you're not doing the right thing. And when you talk about external palpation, where are they palpating? What are they doing? Um, you, the, so the way I instruct it is um, basically medial to the ischial tuberosity, but um, lateral to the anus. So kind of like transverse perineal area. There's not a lot of space in there. <laughs> there isn't a lot of space. And, but here's the other thing. is It cracks me up how people are like, I don't even want to go close to there. But people have no problem palpating the um, hamstring insertions or origins, right? So like people yeah. get up in there to do other stuff. So if you go just a little bit medial um, and you have to, you have to watch where you're going you have to pay attention to what you're doing, but people will, and I will tell people even in class when I'm like, you need to tell me if I'm too medial, <laughs> like if I'm too much in the middle, tell me to go lateral. Um, and so, so it is possible, but of course every therapist needs to make sure that whoever they're, working with is comfortable and consenting and that they know what they're doing. So, um, so I really encourage practice on understanding friends and colleagues. I was going to say, if how they, do you know what feels right or wrong if you've never felt it before? And this goes for internal as well, because again, it's not technically a regulated area. And I know there are some other professions who I don't think it's totally within their scope or at all, yet they decide that they have somebody, a patient who's really comfortable that they do something like that. And my first thought is, how do you know that you're feeling the right thing? And again, people can have too much t 
tension and not be relaxing. Therefore, they're not contracting. And then the cues and the information you give them might not be the right way. Right. And so one, I would say, please, please, please make sure you know that you're comfortable with doing this. Um, And actually, during my classes, I'll have people feel it on me if they're willing. Um, So like, I will do it wrong. And I will do it right. Because I've been in those pelvic floor courses where there's 40 participants and two lab instructors. (laughs) And you're just like, I don't even know what I'm doing the first day. Mm. Um, But if you break it back down, I think to if you were going to be testing a shoulder, right? Like you want to know, one, can you feel me touching you? Yes or no. Excellent. Good start. And I expect this muscle to contract and relax. So if you contract and I don't feel anything afterwards, it's possible you let go and I missed it, or it's possible you didn't let go. So let's just wait a second and breathe. Maybe some gentle palpation. This is for internal exam, by the way. <laughs> um, but you, you have to kind of hone that skill um, because every pelvic floor is different. And But you just have to, we were speaking earlier before I think we started recording about uh, that common sense. Yeah. So what do, what do we think we're feeling here? Right. So we're, we're feeling muscles that work together. They should contract and they should let go. You shouldn't need a whole bunch of extra people to help. So like adductors and abs and eyebrows, none of those should really be helping. You should be able to breathe while you're doing it. Um, so these are all things that you're looking for. But ultimately, it's just a contraction and a relaxation. So so and externally, the way I explain it in class is you you should feel like kind of like a tensioning and like a, like a bulging, but not a pushing down. So, right, right? Like kind of like if you're feeling like a bicep go, but if you feel something pushing you away, probably not it. But the best assessment you can do is it's there, it's not there. And you really can't tell how well they're relaxing. So then you have to start using your words, right? Like, so what I need you to tell me, person I'm palpating, <laughs> is what do you feel when you're trying to contract and what do you feel when you stop? And then I believe them. Well, and like you said, if what you're doing and that's within your scope and you do that and it doesn't work, then you know that they need somebody to be doing a little bit more, whether that's assessment or treatment. You're listening to Dr. Sarah Haig on the Pelvic Health Podcast. We'll be right back after this message from the sponsor. Now, do any of you struggle to learn and remember anatomy structures, their attachments, innervations, and functions? You are not alone. KenHub is an online anatomy learning platform which makes anatomy learning struggles a thing of the past. With their innovative combination of anatomy atlas, articles, video tutorials, quizzes and flashcards, they've already helped more than 1 million people across the globe to learn anatomy and you're next. If I'm trying to remember any pelvic floor anatomy or show my patients where things are and how they work together, KenHub's images are usually my first choice. They're simple, modern and beautifully illustrated. Listeners of the Pelvic Health Podcast can get an exclusive 20% discount on all of the premium learning plans at KenHub or a 20% discount on any KenHub illustration license if you mention Lori Forner when reaching out to them. Simply head over to khub.me slash Lori Forner to redeem yours. Happy learning. I mean, I'm a fairly experienced therapist now, but if what I'm doing isn't changing things, I need to ask for help. Like Mm -hmm. doing more of the same thing probably isn't reasonable um and I don't expect anyone to be cured like 
instantaneously, but you should be seeing something change. Like they should be like, I feel more confident. I, I feel more coordinated or I've been trying this. Can you tell me if it's changed or not? Right. And kind of try to match up what they think is happening with what you feel is happening so that they can go home and stay confident and keep practicing. But it should be changing. Hmm. What about if you have somebody, again, if you're not a pelvic floor physio or pelvic health physio and you have someone come in and they are open and they talk to you about some leaking, do you talk about any questions that also may help to rule in or out pelvic floor muscle tension and, you know, into the sexual pain side of things? Uh, you know, we, we do talk about that and it's, um, you know, it's always, everyone's going to choose their own adventure as far as what they feel comfortable talking about. But yeah, I always, you know, I always just refer back to the anatomy with like how pain, pooping and sex, all those muscles are involved we need to kind of make sure, you know, the reason why we ask about all of these weird things is because it's not uncommon, right? To have urinary issues and then to have maybe some constipation issues or bowel issues like that. So yeah, so I talked to them about how the anatomy makes it make sense. And if they bring up one thing, it's not too hard to bring up the rest. Um, I would really love to talk about some book I've just heard about because it has to do with urinary incontinence. Now, is so you're going to tell me about it now, but is it to do with, is it for health professionals or the public? Uh, more the public. So basically when I wrote it, so it's called Understanding and Treating Incontinence. Um, it's available as of today. Woo-hoo. And it um, it's mostly when I was first asked to do this, I'm like, what am I going to, what am I going to say? But I ended up just doing a lot of writing about what I say to people all the time in the clinic. Mostly I want to help educate them on what is normal. So what's normal for bladder function. How does it really work? No, when you drink a water, you don't pee that out 20 minutes later. (laughs) That's something else that's happening. Um, You know, and normal bowel movements and how maybe they're, they're related. Um, And then also like the different types of incontinence, right? So if you're if you have urgent continence, you're going to do something different, perhaps, than if you have stress incontinence. But you might also have both. So it's really important to know the symptoms and what's happening, and you know, talking through dietary things. So there's not actually what I could find. So if you know of anything, let me know. There's not tons of really good evidence regarding dietary irritants. It's just report, which actually I think is fair. Hmm. So if I say, um. You know, people say it all the time, like, you know, like garlic doesn't agree with me, like their GI system. But when it comes to the bladder, we kind of freak out. Like, well, maybe my bladder just doesn't love lattes. That's totally cool. I'll drink one, go to the bathroom, and I'll be over it. It's fine. Um, But, you know, to, to kind of help people be less scared and more knowledgeable and more confident so that they can go out with their friends, they can go to a movie, they can get on an airplane and have it not be a stressful event. So you educate um, them and you're giving them strategies and do you talk about pelvic floor? I do. And in fact, probably my favorite part is to actually talk through um, what you can and should expect from a pelvic floor exam, if you're getting it. Um, also that you have the right to refuse it. I've, I've actually met a couple of therapists who were like, you have to do it. And I'm like, well, not if they don't consent, you don't. There's a lot you can learn and a lot you can try. And, um, and, and just having people know that they are safe and what to expect. 
Um, you know, so I, I kind of emphasize in my practice, this shouldn't hurt. So like if it hurts, you need to tell me so I can stop and we can learn from it. Doing it more isn't really helpful. Mm. Like having you cry really isn't helpful. We need to know that doesn't feel good. We'll come back to that later. If it's reproducing, maybe your pain with sex, noted. We can move on from there and we'll, we'll see if we can change that. Um, but it just, it should, it should be informational. It should be non-traumatic and it doesn't need to be done every single day. Hmm. So, you know, if people, um, it should, they should leave feeling more informed about their pelvic floor function and know what they're looking for when they go home. Um, and so that was really good because unfortunately here in the States, we had a huge situation with, um, a physician doing things that were inappropriate um, and calling the pelvic floor PT. So I think having people know this is legit, this is what we're looking for and why. Um, and, and if you're not comfortable, you should ask questions or decline. So is your you're, book complementary to physio treatment or is it standalone? Um, I would say complementary. So much like any aspect of physio, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who get back pain or hip pain and knee pain and, and, and some people just work it out, right? They're like, let me just, I'm going to figure this out. Granted, there are some people who need more guidance or who start to discontinue activity. That's different. Um, so mostly it's to inform and educate. And some people might be able to actually treat themselves with this, I would like to hope. Um, but definitely it talks a lot about these are the people, there's even a section on like, so these are the people who can help you. So if you're worried about this, see your physician hmm. or, you know, like pelvic organ prolapse, that's a big thing. I would say go see a urogynecologist, get a good assessment and understand your options there. Um, you know, you can see just your general internist or your general practitioner and they can rule out infection and refer you to physio if that's appropriate. Or you can just go see a physio because... I do firmly believe that physios, we, we know what we're doing and can refer back to medical, you know, the more medical doctors if we need to. So it kind of lays out what each different medical practitioner does and why you might go to them for help. And so you get to pick, where do you want to start asking your questions? Yeah, well, that's that's really nice. And you said so it dropped today. So I will put a link in so that people, it, you'll just need to send me the link so that people can find where they can get the books. Um, and it'll be something that people can have in their clinic to share with their patients, I'm assuming. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I suppose non-pelvic health practitioners would also learn, could also learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this reaches all the people who never think to ask for help. Like I said, it's been so normalized in the world that many women are just like, well, I'll buy the diapers. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but if you know there's help, would you would you just buy the diapers and be fine? So I'm, I'm hoping to reach those people as well. Oh, that is so good. And with your course that you're doing, um, you talk about other types of pelvic floor dysfunction within it, I'm assuming. We do. Actually, we talk about a lot of things. So we do talk a little bit about pelvic organ prolapse, a little bit about menopause, female athlete. Um, I talk a bit about um, sexual dysfunction, a little bit more about pelvic pain. And of course, if you're thinking Venn diagrams, there's an overlap there with pain and sexual dysfunction for many women. 
Um, but then also working with pregnant women and diastasis and postpartum women. Because um, that's the other thing is where I used to work, if a woman was pregnant and had low back pain, would be immediately shifted off to a woman's health schedule. And I'm like, but they're not aliens. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are just people who happen to have other people inside of them. But so many of those orthopedic principles still apply. There's a couple other considerations, but I think we do tend to make it more complicated than we need to. Hmm. Yes, there's specialized training. Yes, there there are more considerations. But if you have someone who's 12 weeks pregnant with low back pain, you sh- I think your first line of questioning should be, have, has this happened before? Because if you look at pregnant people who have low back pain, the largest risk factor for that is previous episode of low back pain. Hmm. If you look at normal, like not normal, sorry, any other human and they have low back pain, the largest, the highest risk factor for them is a previous episode of low back pain. So it's, it's really, it's no different. Yeah. Plus I talk about that, you know, um, there's just a practice guideline that came out two years ago where, you know, that increased lordosis, the increased weight, the shift of center of gravity, there's actually moderate evidence that that doesn't that can't be attributed Hmm. or the low back pain people are experiencing isn't really can't be attributed to that. So don't panic. They're just people and to be confident. Um, And then again, moving into postpartum, we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, why that might be a thing, but also that just being pregnant can be pretty rough on a pelvic floor, regardless of how that baby gets out. I'll tell my patients because I've had people go like, should I just get a C-section? Like, there is no easy way out for this baby. <laughs> like, it's got to come out. It's it's going to come out, and, and there isn't an easy way. It's either going to be through your tummy or through your vagina and your pelvic floor. And and that has, you're going to have, it's, you're going to have to recover. And this year at our um, large physio meeting, there was a great, um, I think it was an OB who was talking. Might have been a Eurogyne, I'm not sure. Is this CSM? Talking, yeah, it's CSM, yes. yeah. Um, she was talking about how, the trauma that happens during birth is like 80%. And like, if you look at sports injuries, it's like 30%. Yet ob get zero training in trauma. Hmm. You know, and you're like, huh. And I don't know, you can check those, like those stats are not accurate. But considering you're almost guaranteed trauma yep. during the delivery of a child, it's amazing that that we don't treat women after they have bring humans into this world like geez, you've just been through some stuff. You look amazing. And also, is there anything I can help you with? (laughs) Um, I just feel like so often it's like, well, here's your baby glow. And, um, but it's a lot. So we talk about, again, that really incontinence should clear up pretty quick if it's happening at all. Diastasis, it's a thing. Um, I think it's not as big of a thing as people make of it. And that we really need to talk more to that woman in front of us of as as do you have pain that you are attributing to this? Um, are you concerned with the aesthetics? Please be honest because I'm here for you regardless. Um, or you know, are you attributing your pelvic floor dysfunction to this? And and there are shades and colors of of possible contribution, but we just the diastasis is there. We don't have any evidence of any particular exercise that would make it worse or better other than being active is better than not being active. 
based on my reading. And I'm so happy to see you nodding. So if you know other stuff, please tell me. Um, But I had a patient who is actually highly educated, highly informed woman who wouldn't reach over her head because someone told her her diastasis would get worse. Her youngest baby was three. I checked her, her diastasis, which I could not feel. And when we looked at the aesthetics, honestly, if I just had her stand up straight, she was pleased. So it was, it was nothing but education and helping her because she wanted to get back to the gym. And I was like, I need you to talk me through what you're worried about so we can make sure we're addressing that. But, but she was fine. She was honestly just scared by something someone told her at some point three years ago. I think because there is a lot of online programs and in order to, which we had talked about before, but not recorded, um, in order to (laughs) sell yourself and market your business, you need to prove to people that your product is better than someone else's. And I think that's where a lot of the do's and don'ts come in and my way is better. And if you do it their way, it's dangerous. Or if you do that, it's wrong and it's dangerous. And because there's so much of that specifically for diastasis, I find, um, there is so much fear and it's so easy. And the first thing people do is Google um, and they come up with all this stuff. And, you know, prolapse is in that camp, I find now as well. But yeah, there's just so much fear surrounding that, that, um, Yeah. yeah, it makes it a little bit tricky, but our voices, I don't think are as loud as some others. Well, and I I think what I would like to say to the loud voices, if they happen to be listening, is um, I totally get it. If it worked for you, you want to share it. Mm. I hear you. But I wish they would just take a second and think about how what they're saying impacts the women who don't get better doing what they say. Because what I end up seeing in the clinic are very sad, very scared, very disappointed women who have done all the things. And they aren't better. And and they think they can't get better because they've done all the things. They've done the top five and the best two and the top six exercises that all the people said. And they're not better. And, and I think if we could be a little more honest that this is what worked for me, I'd love to share it with you by my program. is cool, but to maybe just put an asterisk and says, if this doesn't help, find a physio find and find something else you can still get better if I can't help you well and better is not necessarily defined I think sometimes people are excellent but they don't feel that they're better because their body changed a little bit but functionally they're excellent even aesthetically but compared to pre-pregnancy it's different I don't know I think there's a a very there's a, a large psychological component not saying that people are crazy but just that acceptance of um, change and difference in motherhood and oh my god too many things oh, and I've been there yeah I know well and I, and I can't even imagine but but it is and that that's where then why the top five things doesn't typically work because what better or good or fine is to you is going to be different than what I might say as a physio who's not had a baby which might be different than the gal down the street who had triplets at one time to do you know what I mean so yeah. so I think yeah, making sure that you're framing it up as to what it is. And, um, but the cool thing is, is I would say a majority of the people we can help. So like for those women who are like, ah, it's not the same. Go, okay, walk me through this. Like what doesn't feel the same? Because we do have a skill set. 
while vast, it is still limited. So if I can help you be stronger, more coordinated, more confident, all of the things, I can do that. But if doing all of those things still doesn't make you feel whole, I'm going to call my my friends who are better with body image, who are better with the management of life with children and that change in your role and all of the things. Um, but we, we have a lot to offer, but there are edges. So where are you next? Later in the year, I'm going to be speaking at the Third World Congress of Sports Physiotherapy in Vancouver. Yeah, I had that on my calendar, too. That's just not going to happen. Damn it. If you need a roommate. Can I say that? Um, If you need a roommate and if that helps you at all. Why can't you say that? I don't know if I can say damn it. Oh, oh, I can put an E because we have said, I'm not sure if I should be putting an E because we talk about vaginas because sometimes people oh. think that's vulgar, but yeah, I pick and that's choose. True. That's true. Yeah, so, so I mean, I have a room if you're interested and don't mind a snuggle. Um, and, uh, and then also I'll be in the Netherlands again in, I think, November um, for the Densk Physio Conference. I'm going to talk about don't skip the middle. So like I said in the beginning that people tend to like go like, Oh, I treat shoulders and backs and and everything, including SI joints, but not the pelvis. I don't do the pelvis. And then, yep, knees, ankles, I'm good. So we're going to talk about all the fun stuff in the middle and what we should be paying attention to. Like I said, like at least identifying and educating, if not starting to treat. Um, And then what else? And then I think I go to Belgium after that, actually, right after that one. Oh my God. Well, I'm jealous and our paths will cross one day. But if anybody is in any of those places, if they want to get a hold of you and keep their eye on where you are, is Twitter the best? What is the best for you? Twitter is good. Um, Yeah, so Sarah Haig PT. Um, You can also sign up for actually our Entropy newsletter. Um, So entropy.physio is our website and you can um, email me or sign up for the website, the newsletter there, I believe. You have some um, pretty brilliant courses that you have had there and you have some brilliant ones coming up. And even though this episode purpose wasn't to promo that, <laughs> I'm still really um, intrigued because you. you've got Tom Goom coming to talk about running. You've got Paul Hodges coming back to do a men's health workshop. Men's health, of course, with me and Sandy. Am yeah. I allowed to say that? I'm like, I'm just yeah. going to say it out. Um, yeah, no, it's out there. Sign up soon. There's not only there's a limited spots. I think we're down to like 10 spots left. In Chicago. And then what other courses in Chicago are happening? We have um, Kevin Voles doing acceptance um, and commitment therapy. We have Neil O'Connell coming over from the UK to do making sense of the evidence. And if I got to like give a shout out on one class, like people want to learn a technique. This is your technique to understand all the techniques and their pros and cons. Like this is just one of those things that kind of lifted the veil and really made me perhaps a more annoying human, but a much better clinician. Um, You know, how to look at the evidence and decide that's kind of not great. And huh, that makes me think, because let's be honest, none of us, there's not an article you're going to read that will have the answer you're looking for. You're going to have to think about it. So it's my shout out to Neil O'Connell. Um, and then gosh, later in the year, both Sandy and I are teaching entropy this year for the, I'm teaching there for the first time ever. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, my own class, um, June one, two, and then sand, and then we have Paul coming at the end of June. And then, um, I think Sandy's in July and I've, I'm so sorry to everyone else that I'm not thinking of. We have Martin Asker coming over for uh, a overhead athlete. So anyone who works with throwing athletes or overhead athletes, Martin's kind of a champ. Um, 
and yeah, there's more, but now I'm forgetting. That's all right. I'll put the link on the podcast details so that they're all right there. So when people have the episode, the um, entropy link will be there so that they can find that and then they can find you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's so nice to actually just see your face and talk to you a bit. (laughs) (laughs) One day in person. (laughs) 